good morning, Cross Point. Good morning, Happy New Year, and thank you so much for joining us in worship this morning to start this new year. And thank you, Anthony, for preaching last week. Heard so many good things. So thankful uh, for him and, and his ministry to us. Kids, you can be released for, for Children's Church now, and hopefully for today on your way in, I'm hoping you received one of these booklets um, to look through and you can uh, follow along in, in today's message. As today's a little bit different than our regular Sundays. We're, we're doing something called a Vision Sunday. But if you did not get one of these, can you raise your hand? Mike is in the back and he will get one of these to you. And, and what I want to do today is really kind of look at three things. One, where have we been? Like, let us look back and remember God's faithfulness over the years. And, and then where are we now? Like, if you go into to the Florida Mall or Mall of Millennia, you see those maps of all the stores, right? And it always has that dot someplace on that map saying, you are here. And then you find your way to navigate to where it is you want to go. And, and I want to kind of take a moment for us to say, okay, where are we? Who are we today? And then to look at the next chapter together. That I want to share something with you today that feels like it's been years in the making. A convergence of convictions that came together during my sabbatical last summer and some things that God began to put on my heart and things that were submitted to the elders and other leaders over the last couple months and meetings and retreats and refining this. And I feel like it's this culmination of effort from a group of people to help lead our church forward into this next chapter of ministry that I'm excited, excited to share with you this morning. And so let me begin in prayer, and then we'll begin. Lord, I thank you. To be able to start this new year together, Lord, lifting the name of Jesus. Lord, we exist and, and, and we're gathered to proclaim the name of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, that our hope is in the good news that is true in Christ. And so, Lord, would you begin, even as we start this year and as we'll be talking, begin to kindle the embers in our heart to burn with passion, with an affection for you and a passion for the lost. Lord, would you do that work, this spiritual work in our hearts that my words are powerless to do, but by the power of your spirit, Lord, you can burn that passion in us. And so, Lord, we submit to you this morning. Would you speak? Would you lead? Would you do your work in us for your glory and our joy? And in Jesus' name, amen. If you look at where we've been, the, the story of us, and, and you just go back six years, it would be a very different picture than it is today. It was one of the hardest moments in our history as a church. The, the lead pastor stood up at the time, our founding pastor, and suddenly and unexpectedly resigned. We announced to the congregation we had $3,000 in the bank, and in a few months we would have no place to meet. That was our reality about six years ago. And then we, we plan and we try to see, okay, what's next? And plan after plan failed. And I remember we gathered around tables and, and we prayed because that's all we could do. We depended upon God and we prayed. And we're like, we're about a week from having to just close. 
We're like, God, what do you have? He has the right to open and close his church, his body as he pleases. And so we were like, if you have a plan, help us see it. And I remember one lady raised her hand and was like, I, I just want to ask, have you guys tried South Creek Middle School? We're like, no, but, but we'll try. Next day reached out and by Tuesday we signed a contract and it began to be that God opened a way. We prayed and God moved. God moved like this is our story. It wasn't great leadership. It wasn't some vision. It wasn't connection and pulling on relationships. It was a group of people saying, we're out of opt-in. God, if you don't come through, we're done. And God chose to move. He, we're here because of what God did. Then his faithfulness to us. And here's the thing, and when we, we made that transition here, I think it was around June of, of 2018, it's not like everything became easy. It's not like, oh, it was just smooth rolling from there. Because then like 18 and 19, we're trying to figure out how do we do ministry? We're having to, to set up and tear down again. We're rebuilding ministries in this context, and we're trying to figure it all out. And then we get it all together, and 2020 comes, and I stand here with a vision for the year. I'm seeing on, online churches like 2020 vision, like we're seeing clearly the plan that God has for us, right? And then a few weeks later, nobody had the vision for a global pandemic. All of our plans foiled, and now we're trying to figure out how do we do church online? Like, how do I record this? And, and my daughter's like, your face is too close to the camera. Can you back it up a little bit? Like, trying to improve this. Then how do we meet in a park? Like, how do we meet here when we could only have 50 people in here because it's a public school and, and there are regulations, and, and we're just trying to navigate that. And then we began to rebuild again. Then it's like, okay, how do we begin to, to regather? How do we do this? Let's rebuild again. And then 21 and 22, and we're rebuilding. And then last year, a good year, we began to see pieces come together, ministries, uh, teams being built, ministry happening. But we also had the reality of about 30 people, including children, move away. Some of those and many of them leaders in key areas were like, that's hard for a congregation our size. Like, we feel that. And then we sent out New City Fellowship and we celebrate that and we pray for that. But we also sent like eight people to go participate in that. And it's like, okay, I see the joy and I see the difficulty. And I'm reminded of this as I reflect on the story of us and God's faithfulness to us. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. And it says, not only that, but we also boast in our affliction. What we boast in the challenges we have faced together as a church, because we know that this affliction, we know that affliction produces endurance. The challenges we face produces endurance. Many of you here remember six years ago. And you're probably like, yes, that has taken endurance. But here's what it also goes on to say. Endurance produces a proven character. This tested character and this proven character produces hope. That's what I praise the reality for us as a congregation. That we have experienced endurance. We have experienced the reality that God has proven and tested, 
tested our character, and we also can testify that he has produced within us hope. Hope, hope that God is not done writing our story. Hope that God is in control, that he has a plan to display his glory to our communities through the testimony and the proclamation of the gospel through Crosspoint. Hope that the power of the gospel continues to save, that as the gospel is proclaimed, God is drawing to himself people that he has in our communities. This is what he said to the Apostle Paul when he's like, I'm getting ready to leave Corinth. And he's like, no, stay. I have more people in this city that I'm calling by name and they need to hear the proclamation of the gospel. I believe that is true in our city. There are people who God is calling by name. And as we proclaim the gospel, they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. And then I look at who we are today. We look in the mirror. We say, we're about 100 people, including kids. Some might say, oh, that's not very many, but that's average. That's a national average. Feels ordinary. About 70 partners, six community groups, five elders, six deacons. You'll be hearing more about this later. You say, we're kind of ordinary. But we serve an extraordinary God who is infinitely powerful, all-knowing, holy. Like this is who we serve, an ordinary group of people serving an extraordinary God. Where's the limit in that? And we live in a city that I would say is ripe for gospel harvest. Ripe for gospel harvest. Like, Listen to Jesus' words that he was saying at the time to the disciples. When he says, listen, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. They're ready. He's not talking about crops and corn and wheat. He's talking about the reality of people coming to a saving faith in the proclamation of the gospel. He's like, look around, open your eyes. Do you see it? Do you see it with the eyes of faith that the fields are ripe for harvest? That we live in a city where we're just north of here. 74 million international and national tourists come every single year. That a thousand people are moving into the area every week. A thousand. Like as you drive down the road, and if you're like me, like I've had to change my perspective because I see all these homes and apartments and my first thought is traffic's going to get even worse. But what if our framework changed and said, the fields are ripe for harvest. Look at these people that God's bringing in as our neighbors to the parking lots we call roads that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're coming all around us. We live in the ninth fastest growing city. We live in a place that, that is considered de-churched, people who were once part of the church. The national average is that 30% of people who once participated in church have left the church since COVID. But study has also shown that many are simply just waiting for an invitation. Simply saying, we've missed you. Come join us. We live in a place that is ripe for harvest. 
And so here's the picture I have in my mind. We serve an extraordinary God who has been faithful to us over the years, who is sufficient, infinitely powerful, and all-knowing, whose gospel continues to save. We are a people that has been tested, who have endured with a proven character and enduring hope, living in a city that is ripe for the harvest. That's the reality of this moment. Right here, right now, this is our story. So what do we do with it? What's next? How will we seek to live faithfully for the glory of God as a church? This is the question that's been weighing on my heart. This is the the reality of where we are. I feel like it's a perfect storm to see God move. And my prayer is that God would find us faithful to him. Not just the needs, not just the opportunities, faithful to Christ. And I feel like God has made his instruction clear to the church. It's not a mystery. This isn't something like, now I have this great vision for the church. No. Let us be obedient to what Christ's vision is for the church. And it's simple. In Matthew 4, 19, it says, follow me. It begins there. Follow Christ. That we would be disciples who are following Christ. And it says, and as we follow Christ, Jesus says, and I will make you a fisherman of people. I will help you fisher of people. I will help you. He was speaking to fishermen. I will help you proclaim the kingdom of God. And so that as you proclaim, disciples are made. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, this is exactly what he said. As you go, as you're going about your life, wherever you go, make disciples. This is the calling that stands before us, to be and to make disciples. There's nothing revolutionary here. There's nothing. Here's this great new plan for the new year. It's simply, let's be faithful to what Christ has called us to do. He's the one working. It's his glory. It's his message. Let us be faithful to be one and make one, that we serve one God. We hold to to one gospel. We share one hope in Jesus Christ. So how will we do this? This is what God has begun to to put on our hearts as we head into this new year. And it's something that that you've heard me refer to, and it's called the Emmaus Project. But I want to explain a bit more as to what this is of how we will seek to be and make disciples. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke 24. This is a passage that is near to me personally. I remember when I was in college, I was studying psychology and looking at graduate schools, and my wife and I were married three months at this point. When I was reading in Luke 24, And he used this passage to call us into ministry 26 years ago. And I remember the the journey that that has brought us in. So whenever I come to these verses, there's a place that it holds close to my heart. It's a place that, that over now two and a half decades of ministry, I've seen fads come and go. 
when it comes to discipleship. And I've become more and more convinced that there are three elements when it comes to discipleship as we look at this passage that we need to consider. I think there's only three elements. You take away all the glitter, all the bells and whistles, everything, and you give me God's word. Not the thoughts of man, not the latest bestseller, not just some book. Give me God's word that I know is true and perfect and accurate, that I know can convict and split bone from marrow, that that can encourage and train and lead us in righteousness. Give me God's word with a dependence on God's spirit, on the Holy Spirit. Because 1 Corinthians 2 says that we don't follow, we don't have the spirit of the world. We have the spirit of God so that we can understand what has been freely given to us. Things not taught with human wisdom in podcasting, YouTube, and bestsellers, but wisdom that comes from God, taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. So give me God's Word. Give me a dependence on God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, together with God's people, and we will become and make disciples. Period. No bells, no whistles. Let's start there. It's the basics. So look with me. Luke 24, verses beginning in verse 13. Now you're going to see it says, now that same day. Now what day is this? This is a Sunday. But it wasn't just any Sunday. It was a Sunday after a Friday. The Friday. The Friday when... Jesus took his last breath. The the, the Friday, when when, when he took that last breath, the darkness covered the sky, the the earth shook, his his dead body was taken down and and placed in in the grave, and the grave was sealed. It was that Friday. The Friday when, when hope and everything you thought the future was going to be faded into oblivion. And then Sunday comes. Now that morning, two women had gone to the tomb to to, to do spices. Actually, I think it was more than two. Went to to the tomb to to do spices, but but Jesus' body wasn't there. And and, and there was an angel there who said, he's not here, but, but he's alive. So they run back and they tell the disciples, and they're like, we don't believe you. Two of them took off to see for themselves. They look in, they're like, he's gone. They come back. And they're just like, what is happening? Now, two of those disciples are making their way to Emmaus. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus. So have this in mind. Because we know later on, it tells us that one of those disciples is Cleopas. The interesting thing with Cleopas is that he's actually Jesus' uncle. He was History tells us he was the brother of Joseph. That other disciple may have been, we don't know, they're never named, may have been his wife, Mary. And Mary was at the crucifixion, Cleopas' wife. And so you have these two disciples, we only know Cleopas for sure was one of them. They're walking down the road, and notice what it says. It was seven miles away from Jerusalem, and together they were discussing everything that happened. Now, I love this picture because one verse in 14 says they were discussing. But I put this in air quotes because it was more than just a friendly discussion. Verse 15 goes into a little bit more detail. And while they were discussing, 
and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they didn't recognize him. It says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. We don't know exactly how. And then Jesus asked them, So I kind of like overheard this dispute you guys were having. Um, so what's going on? What is the dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking down the road? Like, it was getting kind of loud, just overheard a little bit. So what are you talking about? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Just picture this for a moment. Their, their world is turned upside down. And they say that the one named Cleopas answered him, Seriously, are you the only visitor? In all of Jerusalem, I'm adding a little bit there, who doesn't know the things that happen there in these days? Like, you don't know. Like, Passover has happened, the city's turned upside down, and you're here and you're like, so, what you guys talking about? Like, they stopped walking. They're discouraged. They're in disbelief. Like, where have you been? What is going on here? And then I love it, because Jesus is like, what things? Tell me about it. Tell me what's been happening. They don't know that it's Jesus. And notice what Cleopas said. So then they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, like that's what we're talking about. That's what we're discussing. That's what we're arguing about, that he was a prophet, but so much more than a prophet. But they're like, he was a prophet. He was, he was powerful in, in action and speech before God. And the people, that's who we're talking about. And, and then our, our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. They crucified him. But, but we were hoping, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Can you see the heart of the discouragement? We had hope. We were hoping he was the one. We were hoping redemption was at hand. We were hoping. But now they're standing on the road to Emmaus, discouraged and arguing with one another. And besides all this, it's the third day now since all of this happened. And moreover, now like some women from our group, they they've astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb and, and when they didn't find the body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of, of angels who said that he was alive. And, and some of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just as the women had said, but, but they didn't see him. What's happening? Our hope has died. Now we're hearing these other stories and we don't understand what it all means. And then Jesus responds. And I don't fully understand his response. It sounds a bit harsh. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. He was like, it was there all along. It was there all along and you missed it. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah? Not just a prophet. Not just another religious teacher, not just a man, the Son of God, 
the one who was promised, wasn't it spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then notice what it says. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of scripture. This is what he did. He started at the beginning and he says, let me show you here how this, what you know, points to Christ. Let me show you here what points to Christ. Let me show you here and throughout the story. He was like, it all points to the Messiah and that he had to suffer first before he is glorified. And then it continues because it says they were walking. And they came near the village where they were going. And, and he gave the impression that, that I'm going to go a little bit further. You guys can stop. You guys are home. But, but I'm going to go a little bit further here. And they're like, no, no, no. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is almost over. And, and, and when darkness sets in in that region, you don't want to be traveling at night because there's bandits outside the walled city. So it's safer. Come, stay with us. So he went in and stayed with them. And it was as he reclined at the table with them and, and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And as soon as they recognized him, he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts lit on fire? We could feel it as he was explaining these things to us. And then it says they took off. They, they ran, and that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. It didn't matter that it was dark. It didn't matter that it was dangerous. It didn't matter that they should be in. They got up and they found the eleven and those gathered with them who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. This is God's word, and this is the basis of what is going to be a multi-year endeavor as we look at what it means to be and make disciple that we're calling the Emmaus Project. And it's that because it's this idea of on the road with Jesus, understanding who he is and beginning right where Jesus began and what we're going to be focusing on this year called the story of God. That this is going to be starting in February. We're going to be starting one of four separate sermon series that will walk through from Genesis to Revelation to see Jesus in all of Scripture. So that by the end of the year, that you will have a foundation that for so many, whether you're a new believer, uh, a seeking or a mature believer, sometimes we look at this and we're like, I don't know where to begin. There's so many words here and I don't know what to make out of it. To say, to understand God's word as a whole, to be able to say, I understand the movement. I understand the story of God as revealed through scripture. But here's the thing, that there's three reasons why I think this is critical for us as a church. First, it's foundational. 
Like, to understand God's Word, to begin here, to understand how it points to Jesus, I feel like this is more critical than ever. A, a, a recent uh, Barna study research has said that 70% of teenagers who are today in the church professing Christian will have little to no faith by the time they leave college. 70%. 70% who are presently in the church. And here's the statement I want to make to that. A cultural experience in church, as distinct from faith in Jesus Christ, a cultural experience in church is insufficient for salvation or perseverance. We are not looking to just give our children a cultural experience in church. We are here to lay a solid foundation in our lives and in the lives of the next generation. This is absolutely foundational. Before we go out into the world and before we send our children out into the world, that a cultural experience is not sufficient. Why are there so many de-churched? Because they're like, I tried it. It's not that they've walked away from saving faith. For so many, they've experienced something in church, but there's no foundation. And so when difficult times come, Jesus warned us of this, that they fade away. We need to do better as an American church in how we disciple and lay a foundation in our lives and in the lives of the next generation. It is absolutely foundational. And it's also meant to be life-transforming. This isn't just about learning Bible stories, right? Like, this isn't just, oh, I, I learned some new stories. For many, you might even know many of the stories that we're going to be covering. The focus is on encountering Christ, walking with him down the road of life, hearing his voice. And like the disciples, they went, wow, that was really interesting, wasn't it? I never saw those connections before. No. They were like, our hearts burned. Like when he spoke, it, it lit a fire in our heart. Our affection for God grew. The passion for, for the lost and for others grew where they ran and immediately wanted to tell. What if that was our reality? Like, this is my prayer for us. What if as we go through the story of God, he cultivates in us not just information, but a transformation that goes down into our heart, pulls those embers together, and lights it on fire so that our passion for God grows, so that, that your passion for God today will be different than your passion for God come the end of the year. That's my prayer. And that that passion ignites a passion for the lost to not just be comfortable here doing our thing, praising God, we save a good Savior, and then keeping our mouth shut as we go out into the world. But to proclaim the hope that we sing about here, that that fire would burn. That it would be foundational, life-transforming, and ultimately reproducible. I am not interested in doing this one-off thing of like, okay, we're going to do the story of God, and next year it's going to be something else, and then something else, and then something else. That is not the goal. I want to make clear from the beginning, 
my goal here is to establish a foundation here that is reproducible and equipping and resourcing you to walk with others in the road of life who are discussing and arguing the realities of Christ. It's equipping you to come alongside that as we go through this, I have like, we have this book that I'll be, you'll see out, it's not out today, it's going to be out in the coming weeks that we've created to go along with this series. And it's following those three principles, like God's word, God's spirit, God's people. This is going to impact what we do. And and what I want is, you're going to see here, it, it has just a brief introduction to the series. I'm going to be sharing in the coming weeks, how do we sit down and study God's word? Why should we trust it? Number one, is it valid to put our trust in that? Should that be the number one thing? And how then do I sit down and actually read it and hear from God? We're going to be talking through that in coming weeks. And there's some things here to help with that. What does transformation look like? And then ultimately, each week, it's a very simple process. It's going to have what you read. There's a short thing that that I've written up. And then it's blank pages. It's the Bible. It's trusting the Holy Spirit. And then it's going to be journaling that. And then it's going to be sharing that with one another. In community groups, we have a training coming up next Sunday for our community group leaders and anyone interested. I'm going to be inviting you to that in, in a bit. But that's the basis of it over and over again. And sharing that together. My goal is then at the end of this year, you're going to hear me encouraging you to pray for three people. Three people who are not presently following Jesus. To pray for them that they that God would open their eyes to desire to learn more about him through his word. That we would give invitations to people for just one person. Each of us, one person. Who is that one person? Would you be willing to study with me? You're like, well, where do I begin? You're going to start in Genesis 1.1. And we're going to have this go along with each series so that at the end of the year, you'll have a resource to continue the journey of discipleship with others. The purpose is to lay a foundation here but also to equip you to be obedient to what God has commanded us to do to follow him and make disciples. We want to be faithful in this moment. So there's a personal side to that, but there's also a family discipleship side to this. So Eleanor, our new children's director, along with her team, are writing curriculum for the kids to go along with this series. So they're going to be doing the the story of God as well, the same passages that we're doing on Sunday, and you're going to be given resources to do activities at home and to ask questions around the dinner table as well to help disciple your children. And as those resources are put together, again, we want that to be reproducible. And so at the end of the year, we're going to put that all together, print it, and make it available to families in the future to help them to disciple their children, to understand how all of Scripture points to Christ. Because our hope is that by the end of the year, you'll understand. You may not know everything, every detail of the Bible, but you're going to understand the big, broad points of the story of God. That you'll learn what it means and how to follow Jesus personally in, in your everyday life. 
to sit down and, and read the Bible and not just have need me to explain it to you, but to know that the Holy Spirit is the counselor. He's the one who helps us understand spiritual things so that you can test what I say and if it's true. Like, this is what maturity looks like. This is what we want to help you to grow in. And our community groups will be equipped and resourced in this journey as well to not just be sermon-based and it's not just going to be questions on what I say, but it's going to be you bringing your journal and, and from your time with God and sharing that together with other, others and allowing that to be encouraged and challenged with one another as we share and, and rest on God's Word. That's our hope. That's the first of three priorities. I'm not taking the same amount of time for all of the others, <laughs> so don't worry. We will get to have lunch at a reasonable time. But this is, is where God has just impressed again and again how we move forward and what the next chapter holds for us. The next priority that you're going to see is connections, which might seem weird. But I want it to be rooted in this question. Do we believe that when the gospel is proclaimed, that people will believe? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that as we're faithful, God's word does not become, it is not void, but the purposes for which he has for his word will come to fulfillment? That when the gospel is proclaimed, people will believe. That people will be added to these benches who are not here today, who God has called by name in our communities. And as we proclaim the gospel, they will believe and they will begin filling these benches. The question is, are we ready to receive them and help them to connect to a church family? Or will we just be a small group that stays insulated from the outside? that we want to simplify and clarify the steps we have for getting connected, to, to, for that to be relational and clear so that as people are coming to faith, that they have a place to belong, that they have a place of, okay, I understand what's next because I've never been in church. I haven't been here. I don't understand what community groups are, or I don't understand the, the words that you're using because I'm not part of that culture. How are we going to help them connect as we're faithful. And this is why I believe it's critical to simplify those steps. And the final thing is finding your place. Here's the thing. When I think of who God is, when I think about who we are in this moment, and I think of what could be as we're faithful. It's bigger than just me. It's bigger than just a handful of people doing stuff while everybody else sits back and watch. It's going to take all of us doing our part to serve, to, to proclaim, to be faithful. It's not just a few of you following me and a few of you proclaim the gospel. It's for all of us. And so what is your place and what God is leading us into this next chapter at Crosspoint. It begins, and I want to encourage you, with what it means to serve others. What does it mean to use your gifts to build up the body 
What does it mean to use your unique skills and giftings within the church family? That you'll see up on the screen that there's a QR code that if you're not presently serving, and to be honest, the majority of you are, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I can say that. But if you're not, if you don't have a place, I would encourage you to scan that QR code. All you have to do is point your camera at it, scan it, and it's going to have a list of ministries that we have available with a little description. How can you use your gifts here to be a blessing to others? Don't just come and sit and then leave. Come and participate. And there might be other areas that aren't up here. There's things that's not here of when I think of social media or design or photography or like there's so many things that I could list that that we use help in all the graphics that you see here I do and I do it in Canva because that's all I know how to use right like that's not my gifting and that's not the best use of my, my time I do enjoy it and I can get lost in it so that's an issue too so you could help me by like getting rid of temptation but there's so many areas that may not even be listed that we would love to help you connect. We would love to help you participate in what God's doing here. There's so, so many ways. There's another side in finding your place and in our desire to multiply leaders that we need community group leaders. Like if our community groups, we say, are like groups of 10 to 15 people that are gathering together to to discuss, to walk with Christ together, a place where, where you'll be known more intimately, where just when we shake hands, it's not like, tell me all of your life's hardships and journey that you're on. We say, hi, how are you? Great, fine, blessings, nice to, to meet you. But this is a place of, of intimacy, of growth, of loving for one another, caring for one another. But here's the reality. We're about a church of 100 people with kids, right? We have six community groups. Do the math. That's not enough. If God begins adding to our number, as I believe he will, as we are faithful to be and make disciples, what groups are they going to connect with? We need new community group leaders. But we don't just have anybody. <laughs> like It's not like, oh, you can be a community group leader, and you can be a community group leader. Like This is an important role in how we are making disciples. And so what I want to invite you to is if you are currently a community group leader or a co-leader, or you are interested in leading a community group at some point in the future, whenever that may be, it's not like I'm going to like put you on a list if you show up for like February. But if you're like, hey, maybe in the fall, what would that look like? Could I come along somebody in the next couple months and then maybe we revisit it? We want to walk that journey with you. And so if you're interested, I want to invite you to come join us next Sunday evening for a training that we're having, that there's a separate booklet here that we've produced for our leaders that explain our discipleship strategy and, and what we're wanting to do in community groups in this new season that we would love to share with you. We have coaching available, mentoring available. There is help along the way. And so... I think there's a QR code there. You can sign up for that. We're going to need new community groups. I believe that. I want to be prepared and move in faith for what God's going to do. I want us to hear those words. Open your eyes. Look outside these windows and doors. The fields are ripe for harvest. 
people are going to come to saving faith in Christ, let us be ready when they do. One final area that I want to hit today is with deacons and ministry leaders. We have so many that have stepped up. So many ways that that I would love to highlight. When I think of even today, the the potluck, and and that ministry leaders are not just, they're not just alone doing the work, but they're leading a team of people. They're leading volunteers. They're helping to organize. And so when we think of the potluck today, Candy is, is heading up our hospitality team. Like, this begins to happen. It's not just her alone doing all the work. But she's helping to organize and facilitate that. We have uh, Eleanor with children's ministry and in our family ministry. Anna Patterson is, is taking over Connection. So I know like some of these names are new because Brandon was doing a lot and he went with New City. And so it's like, hey, so what's happening here? Like Anna Patterson has taken over like our Connections and working together um, with uh, Elizabeth and Stephen McCree have also stepped into like a relational admin to help us communicate and connect and make sure leaders are communicated to well. They stepped um, in. We have uh, Mike Yoakum has stepped in with a setup to help facilitate that team. Kirsten's been leading global missions. Uh, Tina Hood is, is helping with the, like leading the, the women's ministry and the retreats that you hear about. Like we have people leading teams doing ministry, but we also have needs. We, we have needs specifically someone to come alongside. Stephen Bean has been doing the uh, finance, uh, kind of heading that up and so that we have someone over there and, and we want someone raised up to come alongside him in that. We have student ministry that we need. Local mission is one that one of the gentlemen who, who moved away, that, that is a critical need of how are we going to Individually, either opportunities for community groups or as a church, be faithful to helping to not just do local missions, but organize that for the church. These are needs we have. And so the way I see this in the early church is I make the need known and you guys get feedback. So that's why I have the email address up there. If you, if someone comes to mind when I say these areas and you're like, have you considered them? Or I might be interested in this. These are needs we have. The elders focus on on prayer and doctrine and teaching um, for the church and how we care and shepherd the congregation. We need help in these other areas. And we're going to wait then for feedback. And so we want to be clear in our communication. But these are areas when I think of what's next. We need to be faithful and focusing. My focus is going to be on the, the story of God. We have a team that's coming around to help with connections. And I want to encourage you, find your place. Don't just sit in the stand. Find your place and get engaged. So in conclusion, how will we do this as we look at the coming year? I want to encourage us to pray. Here's the reality. I've stood up here before it feels like I kind of made a fool out of myself when I think back to 2020. But here's the thing. As I think through this year's vision, it's been done very much in mind with a dependency upon God. Even if another global pandemic hits, 
Barring death, we can be faithful to what's laid before us. We can be faithful, whatever comes. And it's not all going to be easy. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. We can't make any of this happen. This is a spiritual work among a spiritual people, and we are absolutely dependent upon God. So let us pray. That's why there's these magnets that you got this morning to put on your fridge that I hope every time you see that, I want that to cue your brain to think, I need to pray. Let me pray. Pray for for yourself. Pray for your, your own heart. Pray that God, would you stir the affections in my own heart? Don't let my heart grow cold. Stir my affections for you. Lord, stir my passion for the lost. Help me not to be complacent and disobedient when you have called us to follow you and make disciples. Don't let me just sit on the sideline. Like, can we be praying for our own hearts that God would bend it and stir it for his glory? Can we pray for the church? Can we say, Lord, would you do that in us? May who we are look different in one year because of who God is and the work that he does. Like, that's my prayer. But that doesn't happen through the story of God, and that doesn't happen through the Emmaus Project, and that doesn't happen because of me. That happens because the Spirit of God moves. When we fall on our knees and we depend on him, this is what our story is. This is what we as a people do. We pray and we watch as God moves, and then we move forward with an enduring hope. That's who we are. So let's pray in that direction. Let's partner together to to not remain isolated, but to to join together, to commit to one another, to say, yes, this is what I want to be part of. Yes, in this local body, I want to to, to labor and to endure and and to grow and to have my character tested and, and proven as we follow Christ together. The one thing we want to do at the start of the year, that if you are presently a partner at Crosspoint, about every other year, we ask for a partnership renewal. This helps us as elders know who and how to best shepherd. This is a commitment to and from the local church. This is a commitment from you to the body of the church, and it's a commitment from the body to you. This is what partnership and Membership, as it's called in in other churches, is about. If you're presently a partner, we're asking that through the month of January, you take the time to renew that partnership. If you're not presently a partner, that link will also take you to a place where you can express your interest in becoming a partner. And we'll have an upcoming partnership class where we want to invite you into to even be like, what does that even mean? We'll explain what it means. There. So if you're interested, I encourage you, that link is on the, the worship guide on the back. It's on the screen. We'll be sending out in an email this week. But I want to encourage that as we pray, let's partner and let's persevere. None of us know what the future holds. And if this coming year is anything like every year that I feel like I've experienced then it's going to have its highs and lows. There's going to be joys, and there's probably going to be some tears. There's going to be losses, and there's going to be victories. 
We don't know what the future holds, but we know the God we serve. We know the God who is faithful. We know the God who is worthy of every ounce of our hope. So let us look to him. Let us boast in the joys and in the sorrows. Let's ask that he produces in us endurance. Let's ask that he produces in us a tested and proven character. And let's ask that he produces in us hope. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. That you are good. You are faithful. You are worthy of every ounce of obedience of our lives. Lord, I pray that as we start this new year, that you would open our eyes to see the reality of Christ, the beauty of the gospel in the face of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts our affection for you. Lord, may our affection that exists today only increase with each passing month throughout this year. Lord, would you cultivate in our hearts a burning affection for you as we understand, behold, your holiness and how other you are than us, Lord. May our eyes be lifted upwards and may our hearts be transformed. And Lord, may you move us from our comfort zone with a passion for those who have not yet heard, those that you are calling by name and that you desire to proclaim the hope of the gospel through our mouths and through our lives, Lord. May we be faithful in the coming weeks and in the coming month. Lord, would you do the work that none of us have the power to do? But Lord, would you draw our hearts together in unity to walk the path that you have paved before us. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.